Welcome to the Faded Spade Podcast with your hosts, Tom Wheaton and Sean McCormick. All right, ladies and gents, welcome back to the Faded Spade Podcast. My name is Tom Wheaton, founder and CEO of Faded Spade, with our always entertaining co-host, the poker boss, Sean McCormick, and our next guest, an awesome guest. You may have heard about this guest on our last podcast with Dave Richard from CBS Sports because he was drafted to Dave Richard's fantasy poker team. But our next guest is a professional poker player, a wildly successful poker vlogger on YouTube, co-creator of Mugs and so much more. We are here to hear his journey. Brad Owen, welcome to the Fate of Spade podcast, man. All right. Thanks a lot for having me. No problem, man. So did you know that we did a podcast with Dave Richard and we actually had him select five poker players for his fantasy poker team and you were one of them? I, I saw something on Twitter about that. <laughs> yeah. I was aware. Yeah, Dave, yeah, he's a cool guy. I met him out in Florida when we uh, did a meetup game out there in July. So uh, yeah, that's pretty cool. I think that may be the first fantasy poker team I've ever been drafted to. Well, there you go, man. Well, I think we're going to work together this year to do like a CBS um, Fantasy Sports Faded Spade League. We'll invite like maybe 12 people into it. We're still working on the details. So we'll keep you in mind, man. Very cool. So, all right. You guys know the, the story and journey of the Faded Spade podcast is to tell the untold story of influencers in the poker industry, of which obviously, Brad, you have become through a lot of hard work. And uh, But first, before all that, we all know the situation we're in, right? We're all practicing social distancing. So what have, you, what have you been doing with your time, man? I mean, you can't go to poker rooms anymore to film and et cetera, right? So what you been doing? I've actually, I've been enjoying my time. Andrew and I, we were traveling a ton, uh, doing two or three meetup games across the country. And then we did one in London. And from there, I went to Spain for eight to day poker's uh, main event out there. So, uh, yeah, I kind of just needed a break. So I, I'm, I'm actually happy to be home, just relaxing, still making videos, playing poker online, and just trying to find ways to kill time and reading. Yep. Um, and uh, I've got a poker cat rap video coming out. Oh, uh, man. In the next couple of days. Oh, man. Well, this will be good timing because this will come out probably – um, early next week. So it'll be a few days right after that video comes out. So that's cool, man. Poker cat rap. So what's your cat's name again? Uh, so I have one, I have another one now. So I had one with my ex-girlfriend and she kept the cat after we broke up. So that was pretty brutal. His name was Cosmo. Yeah. Uh, this new cat here, his name is Marvin. He's actually just on the other side of this computer. <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't uh, go too far away from me usually these days. That's all right. We have a cat in my family too, and it's made an appearance on the podcast a couple of times and the Sean just starts laughing his ass at me, but whatever. <laughs> it's the family. Let's do it. Hey, right? hey, I have a zoo in my house right yeah. now, so I can't <laughs> say anything. Literally, I'm sitting on two dogs, yeah. two ferrets, and a cat right now. So it's pretty crazy in my household. You know, uh, my wife, uh, Brad, if you don't know, my wife's a teacher uh, with children with special needs and uh, they keep ferrets in the classroom but the schools are closed. So they needed a place to stay more permanently right now. So I'm like, yeah, just open it up. So, you know, so yeah, we got a whole bunch of, a uh, whole bunch of animals in the house right now, but it's, you know, animals always make it a, a blast for sure. I've got two kids and one will come in here. Guaranteed, but that's all good. <laughs> all right. So Brad, so 
for folks who are listening or watching, right? And, and quick promo, you can watch the Faded Spade uh, podcast on YouTube, brand new YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Faded Spade, and obviously audio podcasts across pretty much any platform. So Brad, what are your roots, man? Like where are you from? Where'd you grow up? And how'd you get into this uh, crazy world of ours? I'm from Northern California, about an hour north of San Francisco. And my dad was in the casino industry. He needed to learn, he needed to learn all the casino games. So he took home this uh, CD-ROM game called Hoyle Casino 2003. And every day after school, I would go and play that. I was probably, I guess I was yeah, either a freshman or sophomore in high school. And, uh, you know, Chris Moneymaker won the main event. That was all over television. I had always loved, like, board games and strategy games. Uh, I played a lot of poker with my brother in high school. He's four years older than me. So it was him and his college buddies. <clears throat> and I'd play against my dad. And then I started playing with my high school friends. And I just loved it right away. Uh, I was good at it. It was kind of the only thing I was able to beat my brother at at the time. And uh, so, so I just immediately loved it. And then I went to school in San Diego where you could play poker at 18 at the Native American uh, properties. So I was playing three, six limit, one, two, no limit. And then after college, I graduated in 2010 and I won $100 satellite into the main event. And that kind of gave me the confidence to really uh, pursue poker as a profession. <clears throat> That's cool. So where did you win that? I won it at a place called River Rock Casino. It's no longer there. It's in, or they no longer have a poker room, at least. It's in uh, Sonoma County in California. Okay. And you said this was kind of right after college or during college? Yeah, it was, the, it was a few weeks after I graduated. So what was that like? What was going through your mind? Like, oh, shit, I'm going to play the World Series of Poker main event. Like, what, uh, what was that like for you? It was nuts. So I graduated with an accounting degree in the middle of a recession. So I didn't get a job out of college. And uh, I, was, I was really kind of panicking internally. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, so I entered the satellite it was a hundred dollar buy-in and that was the biggest buy-in tournament that I'd ever played at that point was a hundred dollars. And so to, to win that and have the $10,000 main event be the first WSOP event that I've ever played and for it to be a hundred times bigger than my previous biggest buy-in was something that was just like a dream come true and, and insane to me at the same time. Damn man. All right. So how'd you do? I, uh, I was top 50 in chips for my flight on day one, which was awesome. And uh, day two, I got boat over boated by the second biggest stack at the table, and I was the first biggest stack. So I was pretty much decimated after that and busted shortly before dinner on day two. I, same thing to me. Like last year was my first ever. And uh, thanks to uh, shout out to our like 35 U stake backers. So thank you for that. But day two, right before dinner, bust out. And it was just like, a sinking feeling. So what was, what was that feeling like for you when you busted? Was it just like, yeah, it was, uh, it was deflating. I, yeah. I, uh, I just felt like I let down a lot of people and I replayed that hand in my head for so long after I actually had nightmares about it. Oh no. Sorry. I brought it up. No, no, no. <laughs> okay. Now, but, but yeah, at, at that point it was, it was just something that crushed me. How about thinking right. back on it now? Brad, let me ask you, because um, this is the stuff people really want to know. <laughs> yeah. When, when you busted the, or when you went boat over boat with this guy, and this guy now has a monster stack, 
please yeah. tell me he at least cashed. Do you even know the guy? Do you remember? <laughs> Do you even have – it was this massive, massive whale at the table. And he, the only reason that he had uh, that many chips was because he got really, really lucky and got it in like terribly bad with a flush draw on the turn against somebody who had top set and uh, hit, a, hit a spade to, to make a flush. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how he did, but he was just playing like a maniac. Usually what happens to me is I dump like a big stack to someone that – not deserving of it. They usually got lucky or something on me. Yeah. And then like an hour later, I look and they're walking out of the tournament. <laughs> like, I'm like, they just punted my stack. Like, man, that's like the worst feeling in the world. And I'm like, yeah, I should have just walked out of the poker room. <laughs> I think we've all been there. For sure. All right, man. So, so take us back then. You bust. You're feeling shitty. I'm sure after that, you started at least to feel like, damn, that was still a cool experience. So yeah. what happened next? Uh, next, so that was in July of 2010. Right after that, I decided to just kind of take a risk and uh, get an apartment, a two-bedroom apartment with two of my buddies. And we lived in San Francisco. Like none of us, actually one of us had a job lined up. But uh, <laughs> we, we, just, we just took a shot, man. We were just hoping within the first month we would get jobs doing whatever to, to make it work. And uh, luckily, within the week that I moved out to San Francisco, I got a job at my apartment complex. So I was leasing apartments full time, and I was playing as much as I could at Lucky Chances. I had de developed kind of this false confidence that I was a really good poker player. <laughs> uh, and I was playing 2-5 at a full-time job, and I was making you know $55,000 a year, which was a decent amount of money for me you know, being a 22-year-old. But living in the city, it doesn't really go that far. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, I did have some extra money, and I was probably a break-even 2-5 player. But I met my buddy, Check Raise Charles, who uh, has a YouTube vlog as well. He was my first friend who was a professional poker player. So him and I would go over poker hands. About a year and a half later, I'd won some other small tournaments for like $1,000 and $1,500 and decided I would take a shot at playing for a living. So I moved out to Las Vegas. I lived in Check Raise Charles' house. Played there, played well here for about six months at Red Rock a lot. That was my go-to spot, and I was making three or four thousand dollars a month. Living expenses were minimal. I probably had like a thousand dollars a month in expenses, uh, so I was able to save up a little bit. Uh, my girlfriend at the time lived in Orange County, so I moved to LA after that, and uh, I just got smoked in LA, making all all the mistakes that you can make, just playing too big. Uh, my expenses were way more than they were in Las Vegas and uh, just bankroll was not where it needed to be to be playing predominantly 510 and just went on a bad run, uh, got stressed, started playing bad, went broke, had to move back in with my parents at uh, 24. So not a, not a good time for me. I understand, man. So one thing you said, um, that I can really appreciate was you said something about false confidence. Like you had false confidence that you were good, right? Yeah. So talk to people who um, mm -hmm. are kind of hearing this right now about what you mean by false confidence and how they can kind of look for it in themselves. It's so hard to spot it in yourself. I, I see it all the time with people who are newer to the game, even people who are pretty good. You know, they, they book some nice wins. Maybe they win a tournament and they think they're one of the best in the world, but 
didn't really put in the time studying, don't really have the experience to avoid pitfalls in, in, in poker in general, um, especially as a professional, there's so many traps that you can get into, uh, whether it be bankroll management or playing in the, in the pits or, you know, a variety of other things. So, um, so yeah, I just really didn't put in all the work to be a top player and I had uh, some success in poker. So I, I just thought I was a lot better than I was. Got it. I hear you. I've been there. Goblin, Florida poker, you know, hit, um, hit hard. in I think the mid two thousands, like the first two years, I wasn't very good. I was like an ABC player, but I was winning. Right. Mm-hmm. But then like a few years later, it was like, Oh, I'm not that good. And you have to put in the work. You have to study. You have to get better. You have to understand your leaks. Right, Sean. I mean, otherwise, and you see this every day as a poker room operator, I'm sure. Um, what advice Sean would you have as a poker room operator to people who might be in that place of, you know, thinking they're really good, but develop maybe a false confidence. And what would you advise them to kind of do to really look into their game? I mean, Brad hit it perfectly when he said, it's hard to see it in yourself. Mm -hmm. And people really need to listen to those words and not just listen to them, heed those words and actually act on them. That's why a lot of successful players these days work in these groups and conglomerates of players on top of players so that you can kind of check yourself against your friends and say, hey, you know, I played this X way. Do you think I should have played it a different way? Blah, blah, blah. And that's how these players get better because it's really hard to look at yourself and, and, and find your own leaks. It's because yeah. you think you're the best, especially if you've made that uh, one big score or one huge score or got lucky. Everybody gets lucky. The casinos are built on people getting lucky, yeah. but they're more built on people getting unlucky, as we know. Or the variance, the numbers playing out uh luck can only take you so far especially in our game i love it man all right brad so you're in your mid-20s you're like crap i gotta move back in with the parents right which hey at that time i remember a lot of people had to do that shit i'm a little bit older than you but i lost my job at that time too so it's just the way it was so walk us through your mindset when that happened and then you know what path you took from there just really uh really just the lowest point in my life i my parents really didn't want me to pursue poker as a profession. My dad being in the casino industry earlier on in my life, he saw, you know, a lot of people lose their, their life savings and didn't want me to go down that path. There weren't really a lot of success stories that, that mm-hmm. he uh, knew about in the gambling world. So I moved back in with my parents. My mom, one of the first things she says to me is, so Brad, are you still glad that you pursued poker? as a profession, just to really rub it in and be like, just I was running this time. And at that point, you know, I, I was taken aback by it a little bit. And uh, I said, I think it's too early to tell. I don't know how this is going to affect my life in the future. And you're gonna have to ask me again in 10 years from now and I'll have a better answer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and <clears throat> I'm really glad that I did take that shot. Uh, it, it's not easy playing poker for a living and you know most people do end up going broke at some point and it's all uh, a matter of how you bounce back and and what I had to do luckily I had the support system of my parents I had somewhere to go where I didn't have to pay rent for a while mm-hmm. and I could I could get back up on my feet so I, uh, I actually studied for the CPA exams because I had that accounting degree that I did nothing with and I passed all the CPA exams within four months, which is kind of a, like the fastest you can do it, basically. Jeez. Uh, 
I was I realized that accounting firms didn't hire anybody except for uh, they only recruited from colleges. Mm -hmm. And at that point, it was maybe July, and I I was looking into master's programs for accounting, and UNLV was pretty much the only program still accepting students. So uh, for me, it was a no-brainer to to come back to Las Vegas, uh, go to UNLV. It was a year-long program, and program was all review. It, it, it just helps you prepare for the CPA exam. So it's pretty easy for me. And I spent a lot of time playing poker, building up the bankroll again. After I graduated in May of 2014, I worked for an accounting firm for a year. And that was just like the most soul crushing thing that I've <laughs> ever done. So I went back to poker uh, in September of 2015. And I've been playing for a living since then. It's gone well. And uh, started the blog in 2016, at the end of 2016. There we go. So I can understand about the accounting world. I'm not an accountant, but a, a couple of really good friends of mine have actually switched from accounting to like international business or marketing when they were going through college and then two or three years out because they got the jobs at like EY or et cetera. That's exactly where I worked. Was EY. it really? Yeah. And they're just like, I can't, I can't do this. This isn't me. I don't want this. So, I mean, good for you to recognize that, right? So when you recognize that and you were having success and probably learned a lot of lessons from the first time, you know, you were playing live poker, when did you say, and I think you just said 2015, but what made you actually act upon doing this YouTube slash social media kind of personal brand vlog initiative that you started off on back then? One of the trends that I was noticing in poker was just that it wasn't getting any easier. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't making that much money playing for a living as a primarily two, five players. So I was just kind of looking at everything and I felt like I just needed another project that would be more fulfilling to work on. When you play poker for a living, you have nothing really to show for it as a cash game player. Mm -hmm. And that was something that bothered me. You know, if I ever, for some reason had to go back to the real world, uh, I would put on my resume professional poker player and, and not really have anything else there. You know, um, at least now I have a body of work. I can show people what my life is like. Uh, I, I really wanted to show my parents and, you know, other people that I, that I cared about that I wasn't just a degenerate gambler that I knew what I was doing as a poker player. And I wanted them to kind of understand it. And I also wanted to develop a community of people, you know, that watch the YouTube channel, we could bounce um, ideas back and forth off each other. But it, but it didn't really turn out that way. It ended up me being more kind of a poker coach and, and me being in that role more than I thought. Oh, really? Okay. So um, how did you adapt it then? Like, did you love coaching? And then did you, how long did you continue that before you moved to like doing more of the entertainment slash kind of coaching videos you're doing? I just thought I would play hands and talk through my thought process yeah. and and then people would respond in the comment section saying what they would do differently. I thought more pros would be watching basically. Mm -hmm. And it ended up being a lot of recreational people that were watching. Uh, maybe they were new to the game and uh, were trying to just improve themselves. And then I, I would say it's, you know, 99% plus recreational players. Yeah. That's amazing. Not, not as much that I can learn from them. Right. That's amazing, man. And it's like when you, well, so here's a question too, because 
a lot of the folks that we've had on when they talk about their entrepreneurial journeys or they talk about like something they're trying new, right? And yes, you have a YouTube channel and yes, it's a, in my mind, it absolutely is a business. Like you've built your personal brand. You are hopefully monetizing what you're doing. You're, or you have created influence for yourself, which I'm sure is turning into ways to monetize other ways, right? So it is a job in a sense, but it's your own business. It's not just a YouTube channel, right? So when you decided like, hey, I got to do this, one of the hardest things for people is like taking that first step to actually go for something like that. So walk us through like what that was for you. What was that first step you took to go for it and kind of overcome fear if you had it? Yeah, I definitely had a lot of fear. Uh, so I saw Andrew Nimi's vlogs. I thought they were really, really cool. And it was just something that seemed like the perfect platform for me to get into. Uh, another, another thing that I wanted to do was kind of just write like a poker television show or poker movie. Um, but there's no way that I would ever have done that just with all the resources you need to make that happen and to do a good job at it. So that was not really uh, realistic. So I saw Andrew's video. I thought it was really cool. I actually knew Andrew a little bit from playing um, poker within that Red Rock because he used to live out in Summerlin. Uh, so um, I was strongly considering doing my own video, but I, I was on the fence just because it seemed like a nerve wracking thing putting yourself out there. And then I was talking to my parents about it and it turned out my dad had a YouTube channel that I had no idea about. <laughs> and it was, I think maybe one video only on it and it was him trapping a skunk in my backyard <laughs> at my parents house it was the worst video of all time so he traps the skunk nothing happens for about eight minutes uh it says on the title skunk sprays me while i trap it or something so it's kind of an enticing title it got forty-eight thousand views and uh uh, so I, I was like, wow, this is the worst video I've ever seen. And it has this many views. Uh, maybe I don't really need to be worried about putting out, you know, bad content because it seems like it's maybe a little easier to have success in this space than I originally thought. So that kind of pushed me over the edge and gave me the confidence to, to uh, take a shot and put myself out there. So I, I uploaded my first video and then it, I think it only had like 10 views or something after the first hour. And I I wasn't even sure that I wanted anybody to watch it at that point. I, I strongly considered just taking it down, mm -hmm. but, uh, but I, I didn't. And I'm really glad that I didn't. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Over 200,000 subscribers now. Is that right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I just crossed the 200,000 mark uh, a couple days ago. So here's the thing, like anyone that's grown any type of business or any type of initiative, that is not easy. That takes a ton of hard work and commitment and dedication and connection with your customers or fans, right? It just, you don't get there by just like kind of half-assing it. So at what point did you realize, okay, this is something I need to dedicate a ton of time to and be really serious about growing this and give it everything I have and build my personal brand? Like, was there a moment when that happened or did it just naturally kind of turn into that? I honestly hate the, the thing that the idea of like growing a personal brand and that okay that whole kind of uh, talk, like people always talk about it as if like it's all a marketing thing and stuff. And I, I get it. But uh, for me, like that's not, I had no idea how many people were going to watch at all in the beginning. You know, I thought maybe I'd have like a couple hundred subscribers or something like that. I didn't anticipate it growing into a big thing because there was no one that was doing this that was really popular at the time. Mm -hmm. 
So I did it because I really enjoyed it. So I, I, I just naturally put in a ton of time. I loved like the interaction back and forth between people who were watching. And I would, I would go film a session and then I would play and sorry, I wouldn't play. I would, uh, I would work like 20 to 25 hours straight on a video. I was so excited to make every video and I would work all night and, and just to get it out as soon as possible. Um, now it's different. Now I'm not as enthusiastic about working on videos cause it, it feels more like a job now, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but back then it was just like purely just cause I loved it and we didn't know how long it would last. I mean, there were guys like Sean McCormick out there who, uh, <laughs> who, weren't, too, who weren't too happy with, uh, get them, Brad, get them. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, now we've kind of come full circle and, and Sean has said that uh, we can work things out if we want to film out there and we'll, we'll put out signs and stuff and that's great. But in the beginning, I thought it was going to be a very short lived project project. So I had no idea that I'd be able to make any significant amount of money doing this. I'm really glad that it, it, it does make money for me now. But uh, yeah, man, in the beginning, it was just, I just loved doing it and uh, would work as hard as I could. And it wasn't like a conscious thing where I'm like, oh, this is going to help me develop my name in poker. And, you know, I, I, I didn't think anyone would really pay that much attention. I'm so glad you said that because I think there are a lot of people that lead with trying to build like their brand name up, whether it's the company or this, their personal brand, right? And like, I always advise against that because people can tell if it's not authentic, right? People can tell if it's forced. And anybody we've had on the show or anybody that you might call a poker influencer, the vast majority of people you might call a poker influencer in our industry, like they just worked hard to build something they were passionate about people took notice and then it became bigger than themselves, right? Even Helmuth, when we had Helmuth on, he was talking about that. He just did his thing, but he was at least smart enough to realize, okay, I've got this notoriety now. And he did things to build his personal brand, like from a visual standpoint, but it was the results and success that made him who he is, not forcing it down people's throats. And I think that's a really important thing for people to hear. And it's like, hey, look, put in the work to do what you love. And if it grows into something, you will naturally maybe get some of that notoriety and influence. But if you try and force it, it typically doesn't work out. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think it's just a dangerous thing. If you get into content creation for money or uh, to be you know, well known or whatever, for one thing, it wasn't even, it was like two years before I, I started making any money that was significant on it. You know, I basically did, thousands of hours of work for free um, (laughs) up to that point. I understand. I've been there in different ways, man. So, all right. So you brought up, you brought up mugs, right? We brought and you brought up mugs. And I think many people will remember that it was a new thing at casinos and, and poker rooms and some poker rooms were wide open to doing it. Some had to be cautious because of their parent companies, some operators um, opened their arms and said, let's do it. Some had to go through politics internally before they got it done, right? So, um, and you also mentioned that, you know, Aria and where Sean works is trying to get these things to happen now that Sean fought the battle internally to be able to, to make that happen. <laughs> so tell us about what started this whole thing. Cause I know you're the co-creator with Andrew. We had yeah. Andrew on the Fate is Babe podcast. He shared a little bit about it, but when and how did this come about um, with the whole poker mugs? kind of initiative and what I would just call 
uh, business now. Sure. Uh, Andrew, Andrew had the idea very early on. I remember he had maybe around 45,000 subscribers at that point. He just blew up very quickly. And I only had about 7,000, but he thought it'd be a good idea for us to partner up. And we reached out to several different properties and for a variety of different reasons, it wasn't worth it really for them to take the risk on what we were doing. Uh, no one really knew how gaming was going to react to what we were doing, I think in the beginning. And, uh, a lot of the big companies like the MGMs and, you know, the publicly traded companies, they had a lot more to lose potentially by letting us film than, uh, than they had to gain, especially at that time. I mean, we weren't really getting that many views. So the marketing value just didn't really, didn't outweigh the risk essentially at that point. And it was early on people, didn't really know us or necessarily trust us with what we were filming and what we would be showing, how we would be highlighting the casino, whether we would say anything bad about them, all that stuff. So um, it wasn't until, yeah, I think June of 2017, I think that was the first meetup game during the World Series. And uh, went to the Mirage, that's a kind of a smaller room. It's still an MGM property, but uh, they were looking to get as many people inside the poker room as possible. I, I don't know if we told them we'd be filming. Maybe we did, maybe we didn't. I, I kind of forget. Um, but- uh, Misremember, but yeah, you, you, you misremember. You're just not right. entirely oh, sure. Oh. <laughs> it's better I, to ask for forgiveness, right? Right, I mean, there were a lot of properties <laughs> that we dealt with, especially early on where they're, where they're just like, just don't, don't tell us either way what you're yeah. doing. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it worked out really well. I think we had three tables and we just had a blast. We got pretty, pretty drunk that night. I mean, we got really drunk that night. It was until, uh, we played and hung out until five in the morning and just had a blast, decided to keep doing it. And we did the meetup games for free to different properties for a very long time. And we just, uh, kind of needed to have a proof of concept. And then the Westgate got on board and became kind of our home for meetup games. They had a very small room. It's, I mean, it's six tables and no one really knew about poker there. So they were looking for all the marketing that they could get. They went through all the proper channels, got gaming on board. It turns out if we just put signs basically out that say we're filming and by you being here, it gives your consent to be filmed and photographed. Mm -hmm. uh, that was really the, the way we got around it. Now it's grown to something huge. We're, We've probably done meetup games in 15 different states and two countries, and we're just having a blast. So as soon as everything kind of clears up, we're going to be uh, on the on the meetup game grind again. So Sean, yeah, when's the Aria game happening? <laughs> let's do this. Let's, let's worry about let's worry about opening the door first, <laughs> um, which is going to be a massive project in itself. Three it's months like, after, could, at least three know, months after. Do you know how hard it is to open a casino? Do you know how hard it is to open a city of casinos? <laughs> let's, let's work on that first. But circling back a little bit, you know, I am I am one to always admit in my career and always uh, eat crow where needed to. And I'll be honest, I had a lot of reservations in the beginning, even though I was kind of hypocritical about my reservations because I was having reservations working with my parent company and my, my, my company and everything. But at the same time, I'm like the poker room manager director that travels to all the fun meetup 
you know, spots. I got to run it up. I got to run good. I, I've played in one of your actual meetup games, and I've done all of, all of them, but I'm more guarded in my home base. Um, I have been up until the last year or so, and, and, and I have to thank you and Andrew for all the work you've put in because it's not just poker, I'm going to tell you now, that's come kind of like 180 on this, uh, this whole topic of filming in casinos and getting, you know, engagement. That's like the big word now, engagement. You know, we have casinos now, uh, Stratosphere before the Strat now, uh, before they just closed, started putting um, little signage on their tables on the felt that said, hey, at Blackjack Games, hey, take a picture and hashtag the Strat and all this. And everybody's getting on board with it. So, you know, if the pit gets on board with it, it's even more so for poker because, again, it's very easy to it's I shouldn't say it's very easy because it hasn't been but it's easier to film in poker just saying hey we're going to use your you know your your likeness your image whatever is going to be used in this area um it's even harder in the pit obviously the anonymity of a player is always one of kept you don't want people filming people playing slots or filming people throwing dice for a lot of reasons but in the poker world we just say hey you know we put the sign up and if you don't want to be it, we'll table transfer you. And, uh, you know, I know I've had some people come in and, and try to do games, set up games, stuff like that. And people didn't like it. We transferred them other games and stuff like that. So, again, kudos to you guys for not only putting in the work, but really, like, driving it home and, and making us realize that this is a value for not only just you, but also a huge value to the casinos. Love it. What's it like hearing something like that from Sean or from other poker room operators who you have worked with for the mugs? I think, I mean, it's, it's great. Obviously it's a huge, Sean is probably, I mean, if not the most prevalent uh, tweeter in terms of like poker room operators, <laughs> he's got to be top five. <laughs> so, uh, so it's good to have him on board, especially with like such an awesome property like Aria. The thing is, I think the, I think how we got to this question was, um, when, when are we going to be doing the meetup games at Aria? Mm -hmm. And with something like that, we don't, we don't really offer as much value to the Arias and, uh, the big, the big properties just because, you know, people are going to be coming into Aria almost no matter what. Um, and they're going to not have enough tables that are open for us to, uh, to fill up necessarily. I mean, there's going to be huge wait lists because um, there's, I guarantee you hundreds of people would, would love to do a meetup game at Aria, but there's just not, not enough space. So we have to figure out, we'd have to figure out a way to get over that hurdle. Uh, hey, I got it. I got it. Let's just do it earlier in the day. I know. Hey, libations 24 hours in Vegas. So we're good <laughs> on people getting drunk if they want to. Let's just do it early in the day. You know, if, if I have an 11 AM tournament that day, let's do it at three or four. And I'll cancel the nightly. I'll tell you right now. I will cancel the nightly for your meetup games. So that's additional five or six tables for your Absolutely. meetup game. As soon as, and you know what? Let's do it as soon as all this is, is down. I mean, we can't do it day one, but let's start talking about it and get this moving. It'll be good for you. It'll be good for us. It'll be good for the community to get this resurgence, something that we can show videotaping, you and me, like setting things up. And let's make a whole thing out of it. Why not? I'm in. We'll have to negotiate a little bit, but uh, you got it. You got it. Other than that, I'm in, and I'm sure Andrew is down as well. My 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 cock pen's a little dry right now, but as soon as we open, I think I'll be okay. My only request is that you use the Aria faded spade cards. That's my only request. 
That's it. I'll think. I'll think about it. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll think about it. How, how easy is it to get cards approved by gaming and stuff? I know that that's got to be at least somewhat of a process, right? Uh, in most states, it is. But Sean already has his Aria faded spade cards, so they could put him right. Okay. Nevada is the wild west when it comes to yeah. gaming approvals, and I don't want gaming listening and thinking <laughs> we need to, to, you know, drop the hammer on us. But sure. uh, no, Nevada is. We're we're very lucky here. Uh, getting new cards cards and it's it's actually harder to get it approved by my parent company to order than it is to get gcb to say yeah you can use those cards it's 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 just actually with cards as long as i'm protecting them locking them up they're pretty much good with you know as long as they don't look ridiculous yeah got it yeah so if you wanted to use if you wanted to use your own cards for the event or even do a co-branding thing where faded spade did a mug thing like yeah uh, a week notice i could get it done Easily. Yeah, that'd be pretty interesting to partner up that way. Yeah, with our own, uh, with our own mugs branded faded spade cards. That'd be cool. Oh man, all the. And then you could give them out. You could. You, you, <laughs> oh man. And, uh, obviously, Tom's excited because new, new. Just, there, there could be new operators using uh, his cards, but honestly, you could you could get the word out and get players more involved with uh, mugs and and also with faded spade and uh, yeah, that'd be that. It sounds like that'd be a cool opportunity and. Uh, I'd love to be on board for that too. Very, very good idea. All right, away from the marketing. Now now. back to Brad, for God's (laughs) sakes. (laughs) We're all selling here. We're all selling. It's not just me, buddy. We we successfully plugged all of our businesses here. This will not be the clip, I promise. This will not be the clip that we use promoted. All right, so um, where the hell was I? Okay, so actually, I do want to talk about the business side of this, though, because I think it's important, right? And, and we didn't get too much into the business side with Andrew, right? But like, let's talk about mugs as a business, because I know when you guys go to um, different poker rooms, you have done a great job filling up tables, right? And yep. there, is a, there is a cost-benefit analysis that can be done for that, obviously, any poker room. Right, their average amount of tables full, average amount of players versus who's going to come in for the night with you guys, and there's going to be a break-even point, and yada yada yada. Whether it's cash games or tournaments, I know a little bit about this, Brad, because I've talked to Andrew about it. I know him a little bit more, and there are faded spade card customers who I'm talking to about. Look, you guys have got to do this. Not asking for anything from you guys, just because I think it's right for the card room, and I think what you guys are delivering. But what I understand is you guys deliver a lot more than just the people showing up. You guys actually produce and edit video productions of the time there that then has really an evergreen shelf life that's then promoted. So talk to us about what you offer outside of just, you know, the people coming in because of your followings. You produce some other great things that poker rooms will benefit from. Yeah. So leading up to... Any event, we're going to promote it across all social media platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. We're obviously promoting them on videos leading up to the events as well, which are going to get hundreds of thousands of views. And then we create a, a video dedicated to highlighting the good things about the poker room and, and the night and stuff. So our goal is always make the casino that we're working with look good. Otherwise, we're going to get shut down pretty quickly if we, if we don't. Um, but usually that's pretty easy. I mean, we go to places that we like going to. I mean, we're, we're at Gardens Casino now. We had pretty much our pick of whichever casino we wanted to be doing ongoing meetup games with in Los Angeles. And now we have an exclusivity deal with Gardens. So we're going to 
we're being, we're there once a month. Um, and you know, once this all clears up, we're going to be going back out there once a month, hopefully. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, these videos get a couple hundred thousand views. People are on the property having fun experiences, fun memories that they want to, uh, they want to replicate. So they want to go back to the properties. And then after we hang out at the bar and have a ton of drinks, you know, some people kind of go their own way and play the table games. And so the properties benefit in that way too, to just get a uh, more feet in the door and, and more, more people gambling in general, I guess. There you go. So, um, why don't we pause here for a minute and why don't you let people know, um, whether it's a poker room operator or just, you know, folks like, me, Sean, and every other recreational poker player out there. Where can they connect with you on your social media outlets? And then also, how can poker rooms get in touch with you for mugs? Uh, so you can follow me on Instagram. My my handle is Brad Owen one So apparently there were some other Brad Owens before <laughs> me. Uh, on Twitter, I'm the Brad Owen, and then YouTube. If you just search Brad Owen Poker, should be able to find me on there. Um, as far as casino operators go. They can, uh, they can get in touch with me. I, I'm really good at social media, trying to respond to everybody. So I guess, I guess tweeting at me or DMing me on Twitter is the best way to get in touch. Okay, awesome. Hey, that's how we got in touch for this podcast, yeah. right? And uh, I'm really glad you wanted to come on, man. I want to be conscious of the time, right? So maybe we'll take another you know, 10 minutes or so to go through some of this. So, sure. so you've built this. Quarantine time, man. I've got nothing to do. We'll hang out, right? You know, Sean, you got some time. Let's hang out and keep chatting. You got time. There's, there, we could, <laughs> maybe, we'll, maybe we'll have Brad tell some stories from a couple mugs once mm -hmm. uh, we get through the journey. So maybe start thinking about some of those, Brad. But um, all right. You've built this online following. You've got all these subscribers. You've got a fan base. You started mugs, which is a business that I think will continue to grow. I mean, it's probably going to be able to scale as much as you and Andrew can travel, right? Until you figure well, that's out kind of the, that's kind of the challenging part. Yeah. yeah. to figure out how we, how we can grow as a business and how we can, it's very difficult to scale when you have to physically be present and physically be putting in the hours editing all the videos. And it, you know, it's really tough to delegate anything as far as creating the videos go. Yeah, I bet. So what are you, what, what's your mindset at? Like what ideas do you have? for potentially trying to scale? Have you guys talked about it or, or is it just like, let's just see where this goes type thing? Yeah, we definitely talked about it. I think doing some kind of a tournament series makes sense where we can kind of promote these tournaments uh, across different casinos and maybe one of us will go, maybe both of us will go to these different series, have a point system and have some kind of uh, tournament series championship in Las Vegas. I think that'd be pretty cool. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd be a great idea too. And the other thing, maybe from a poker operator standpoint that I just thought about, because we talked about this on our uh, re-entry round table with Savage and Jeremy and Berkey and Sean. And um, one thing that happens or, or doesn't happen as much as often when people bust from tournaments is that they go play cash games, right? That doesn't happen as often as possible. So if you're able to run a tournament like this, but then people are going to bust and stay in that poker room or casino and continue to play cash games. That's just a win-win for everybody. Yeah. So that's a really good idea. Okay. Good deal. All right. So think back to, to all the mugs you've had, man. Like, were there any really cool, funny stories you want to share with the audience? Uh, let's see. I mean, I will, 
I'm trying to think of like specific ones, but maybe something that people don't really know that's kind of funny is that Andrew is famous for doing Irish exits. You know what those are? <laughs> I don't. I've uh, heard the phrase, but I don't know what it is. I'll be the guy. I believe this already before you even tell it. I, I totally see Andrew doing it. <laughs> All right, so let, let him let's know. Hear the Irish exit. <laughs> Early on, I mean, we would just have so much fun with these meetup games, and uh, we would we'd be drinking a lot. And so we've had to consciously, because Andrew and I both enjoy drinking, and just fun. People, you know, buy us beers and buy us shots, and you know, it's maybe it's someone's birthday at the meetup game, and so we want to celebrate with them, and. Uh, yeah, so we have to consciously kind of drink less now. But anyway, early on, Andrew would get pretty pretty hammered, and so would I. But Andrew would just leave without saying anything to anybody. <laughs> so that's what an Irish exit is. And uh, so it would take us a long time to catch on. It'd be like, Andrew's been in the bathroom for like a very long time. And uh, sometimes, sometimes he would even come back like way later. He would just go off and play uh, – slots or play roulette or something like that and and then just come back and be like where were you man and uh and then sometimes we don't see him at all <laughs> oh brutal so i just learned also i have definitely pulled an irish exit a couple times and not known it but okay. that's awesome man so how did it feel when you got done with your maryland live game which i think is still your biggest mug to date is that right so walk yeah. tell people about that experience at maryland live and what it was like for you and andrew afterwards i think the first time we were at maryland live so we've been there twice or three times now the first one was the most surprising because we didn't realize how big it was going to be and we had 23 tables 23 additional tables of two five brought into uh, maryland live which has i think around 50 tables and it was on a Tuesday night. So we picked the most dead time we could possibly pick. And just everybody showed up. We didn't realize how close it was to so many giant metropolitan areas. People drove in from all over. We had people fly in from Wisconsin and uh, various other states for it. It was our first ever East Coast meetup game. And it was just nuts. So when that happens, we try and play with uh, everybody at least once. So either Andrew or myself. And I think that was probably our longest meetup game just because we had to get around all the tables. We, we made it to 18 out of 23 because some broke before we could get to them. But uh, that was a blast, man. That was, that was really, really cool. That was the first time I think that the meetup games, it just became apparent to me like how, how big it had become. That's so cool, man. Well, congrats on all the success, brother. You have built your YouTube business. You are building your mug business. Anything else you got going on that I don't even know about that you want to share on the podcast? Well, we talked about that poker cat rap. I think that that's <laughs> yes. going to be, that's probably, uh, that's going to be my, one of my favorite things to put out. I mean, it's such a dumb idea, but I got so many people involved in it to make cameos that it's going to be, that part's going to be uh, pretty great. <laughs> okay. We will not spoil it. I will not ask for more info. Yeah. This will come out after that probably come out that uh, launches anyway. So we will look out, at least Sean and I, in the meantime, we'll sure. look out for the cat rat video. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. All right, man. Um, I also noticed you actually have like a, uh, kind of like a, a documentary that 888 Poker did regarding mm -hmm. your poker vlog. So tell us about that and where can people find that? Yeah, that was, that's something that I think is one of the coolest, uh, projects that I've been a part of. I, I haven't really 
gone into too much detail about my life as a poker player, except for kind of recently with that documentary and on a couple podcasts recently. But uh, they just did a great job. They did a, a great job kind of just going through my story. It's only five or six minutes long. And um, I, I couldn't have done that well had I just been working on that on my own. But I, we filmed that when I was in Spain uh, right before everything went down. So that was like really fortunate to get that trip in. That was early February. And now, you know, Spain is one of the hardest hit uh, countries. So... But yeah, you can you can find that out. You can uh, you can find that on Eight 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 Poker's YouTube channel. They have seven hundred or eight hundred videos. Definitely worth checking out if any of the listeners or viewers have some extra time and uh, need some more poker content in their lives. There you go, man. We all need more content in our lives right now, buddy. More yeah. more entertainment. Hopefully, stay away from the negative content. Focus on the positive oriented content. Of which, Brad, your vlogs are always uh, positive and uh, definitely focus on the right side of the business and your play. Even when you're going through your own struggles, I think your transparency is uh, something that endears people to you. So uh, kudos on the success, man. The last question from my standpoint, and then we'll see if uh, you have anything else you want to add to Brad or poker boss. All right, Brad. So as we wrap this thing up, kind of a deep question throughout this whole journey of yours, right? From when you had the first 10 viewers of your vlog, to now 200,000 subscribers, to now meet up games with 20 plus tables. When you look back on this whole journey, what's the most important thing you learned about yourself? Hmm, wow, that is a good question. <sighs> you might have to edit, edit out me tanking here. <laughs> the most important thing I've learned about myself, um, geez, uh, I think, I think the thing that surprised me about myself is how how hard I am, uh, how much of a hard worker I am, like when I'm really passionate about something. I think that's been surprising. I mentioned earlier that I was willing to put in, you know, 20 to 25 hours straight of, of editing. And that's something that surprised me. I, I think that that's the biggest thing. Also, I've just developed like a ton of, uh, a lot more self-confidence throughout this whole process. I wasn't a very confident person growing up and still to this day, you know, I'm, I'm pretty shy and reserved and kind of an introvert, but um, it's been so cool to see how many people have been affected positively uh, from the poker vlogs, not just me, but from a lot of other content creators. And uh, I feel like I'm not really completely answering your question, but, um, I think it's yeah. an awesome answer. That's as good as I've got right now. It's, it's okay. You still had three seconds to go. <laughs> I, what? I called the clock on him. I called the clock the second. It just went off. I called the clock on him. You know? Now we don't have to edit it out. You know, you did well. You did well. <laughs> you know why it's an awesome answer? Because it's genuine. And that's why I don't, I, I don't tell people I ask that. And, and, and there have been some podcasts like Joey's podcast where we got like so deep into personal stuff. Obviously, and, and we've scratched the surface here, right? And, um, but I think that's important for people to hear because there are a lot of people, you know, going through trying to achieve a vision for their life or things like that. And it's hard and it's so hard. And it's like, you're going to learn yourself a lot of things about yourself that maybe you didn't know along the way, right? Okay, I've got, I've got a good answer now. I think how, how honest I am willing to be uh, and to just 
put that out to the world. You know, I, I've gone, I've talked about a lot of embarrassing things and difficult moments. I've gone through my biggest downswing while, while filming everything. And that was something I've made a ton of terrible, terrible poker plays and put them on the vlogs. I feel like the, the less I want to video something and document it and put it out there, I feel like the more important it is. So if I don't, then I'll just have like a huge sense of guilt. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think that that's something, I think that viewers resonate with that. I think that they appreciate that I'm willing to be vulnerable. And I think it just works out the best, regardless of how little I want to talk about certain topics. <laughs> Amen, brother. Just like, you're right. You know, uh, we got a beautiful uh, compliment from Ange. Angelica Hale, the VP of uh, Global Tour Management for the World Poker Tour when she was on. And I didn't see it coming. And she was just like, I love your podcast because it's authentic and genuine. And I didn't even realize like that was a thing. You know what I mean? And I think that is why you have 200,000 subscribers, 400,000 views on some videos, and why all these people want to come spend time with you and play with you during your mugs. You know, it's because you put yourself out there in a way where people can relate to you. And it's because of that genuineness and that authenticity that I think you have skyrocketed, you know, in your career. So good, man. It's cool that you realize that. Cause I don't think a lot of people do. So on that note, poker boss, any wrap up questions or segments for Brad, or are we going to call this thing, uh, call this thing a day? No, I just, uh, I'll, uh, you know, just piggybacking a little bit on what you said. Um, it, it is really hard to find genuine people in in our industry sometimes and i think people misconstrue you know getting an edge with being non-authentic or even flat out lying to people and as someone in operation sometimes i have to take that into account and that's why in the beginning when you and andrew and other uh vloggers brought me this idea of doing you know like filming games and stuff like that i i had to be reserved you guys would you could probably imagine how many people bring me a different idea per week. Like people drop the, Hey, I got the new greatest game. I got the new greatest way for you to, uh, I've, I've reinvented how to look at whole cards. I've reinvented how to do this and everything. And it's like, I have to take it with a grain of salt, but you really, you put in the work and, uh, you know, authenticity is, I think the big word that you can put, you know, that's, that's one of the things you can really hold your head high about that you are authentic and you keep it real, um, which is really hard to find. And to that, I'm going to keep it real. Tom knows where I'm going with this. I make, I make something every, every, uh, every segment. So it's not going to change anything, but our sign does say, Hey, we film in here. <laughs> well done. We, we film in here. That's my new signage. That's all it's going to say. Hey, okay. we film in here. So, <laughs> Please get a picture of that, Brad. Uh, that, Sean, for the meetup game that we do. Uh, as soon as all this is over, we're gonna we're gonna hold you to that commitment. You got it. You got it. I love it. All right, ladies and gents. So we'll be respectful of everybody's time. We're gonna close this out. Um, again, be sure to check out at the Brad Owen on Twitter. Get to his YouTube page with his name. Uh, if you haven't watched any of his vlogs, please do so. You'll learn a lot about poker, but also Brad, and also you'll be entertained, even if you have no idea what's going on from a poker standpoint. Um, but Brad, wish you nothing but success uh, once we get back into the live business with mugs. Sounds like you're adapting your YouTube content for kind of today's world with this new cat rap video. So can't wait to see that. And we're going to say sayonara from the Faded Spade podcast. Stay safe. Have fun with your friends and family. And we will catch you next time. Brad, thank you for the time, man. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs>